Amen. Good morning. Hey, this morning, thank you for that. Good morning. We are continuing in our series that we're calling The Church that Jim Hall kicked off last week. And if you missed it, let me do a little review. Jim talked last week about the birth of the church in the book of Acts and how God poured out the Holy Spirit on the church and the church expanded and grew from Jerusalem out into the Roman Empire. Even though they faced opposition and persecution, they were faithful in their mission to reconcile the world to God. And this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about what we'll call the three main purposes of the church, and specifically, what it means for us as a local congregation here at New Heights. But before we jump into the teaching, what I want to do is, I'm going to, in just a minute, put some images on the screen, and what you'll see is they're all going to be various types of boats. Who likes being out on the water in a boat? I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, unless you're terrified of water, you've probably been in a boat at some time in your life, maybe a canoe or a paddle boat or a cruise ship. But as I, as I put these images on the screen, I want you to think about how you think about a boat, it's one thing, but it has lots of different purposes. And so think about, as you see these images, the purpose of each one of these types of boats. Let's put the first one up here. Okay, that is a fishing boat. It's a nice one. Uh, and what's the purpose of a fishing boat? Come on. To catch fish. Okay, good job. You passed that one. So that wasn't too hard. Okay, let's put up the next picture. This is a single kayak. And so just think about what's the purpose of, of that kayak and that guy out there. All right, the next one. This is a rescue boat. It's got a specific purpose. And these guys are risking their lives a lot of times to go out and rescue. And, and we can even think about what's happening this morning in Florida. And I hope that your prayers are with those people as, as they face that disaster and as people are going in and risking their lives to rescue others. Okay, let's look at this next picture. This is a picture of what is called Africa Mercy. It's a part of the Mercy Ships International Ministry. You guys, this is basically a floating hospital. This is full of doctors and nurses and staff and people who are, a lot of them are giving of their time, volunteering months out of their lives to go, and it's packed with, with hospital supplies, and they go into ports around the world where there have been natural disasters, doing free surgeries, taking medicine and, and care to those who are in great need. Next picture is a battleship, and it's not too hard to think about what is the purpose of the men and the women on this ship. They are focused, they're vigilant, they're on a mission. The next picture, I don't know what this is. I'll call it a redneck houseboat. And, and I don't even want to know what the purpose is of that, that thing there. Um, that's very interesting. Okay, and the last picture, and we all know what the purpose of this is. It's to eat a lot of great food and get some sun, right? Okay. So now, as you've seen these images, what I want you to do is I want you to think about which one of those pictures do you think most describes what we'll call the church in America today. About our purpose and what we are about as the people of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So as you're thinking about that and those images, I'll tell you where we're going. We're going to answer two main questions. The first is, what is the church? And Jim started this last week, and we'll talk more this morning. And the second question is, what is the purpose of the church? 
And it's very important for us as, as men and women of God to be able to have an answer to this question. What is the purpose of the church? Because many in our culture today, your relatives, your neighbors are saying, I don't need the church. They're saying the church is a man-made institution. It has very little relevance in my life. And some people are saying, well, you know what? I have a belief in God, but my religion is private. Or I'm religiously unaffiliated. And that's becoming a majority of our population in, in America. And, and a lot of people are saying, too, about the church, that it's an irrelevant institution, or at times, at worst, it's even a hindrance to the progress of society. And so here's what we need to do this morning is we have got to see how the church is described in the Bible and see it the way God sees it and value the church the way he values it with the hope that it will inspire us and challenge us to do church and to be the church that Jesus loves and gave his life for. Amen? So that's where we're going. Now last week, Jim gave us two pictures of the church that we see in the Bible. The first is what he called the universal church, and the second is the local church. And Jim described the universal church this way, basically all individual believers from all times in history. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are the church. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to say out loud, say, I am the church. Go. All right. Now what we want to do is I want to go to the end of the book and I want to look at a picture of God's final gathering of the church in all her beauty. We're looking at Revelation chapter 7. It says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and they had palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What an incredible picture of the end-time gathering of the church in all of her beauty, in all of her diversity. And there are many references in the New Testament that describe the universal church. I'll just talk about a few. Jesus says that his house will be called a house of what? Prayer for all nations. And let's look together at Matthew chapter 16, where he says to Peter in verse 18, he says, I tell you, you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so what we've got to see in this verse here is that the church is Jesus' idea. It's not a man-made institution. Jesus is the one who's building his church. And he's building his church out of people like Peter who believe that he is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he's going to do. And it promises that the very gates of hell will not be able to stand before the church. And there are a lot of metaphors and other pictures that we can use to describe the universal church found in scripture. Jesus in, in 1 Peter 5, 4, uh, it's, he's called the chief shepherd of the flock. And so that literally means that he is the head pastor of the flock, and we are his sheep. That's one picture. Another that's described in the Bible is, is as the body of Christ, with Jesus as the head. The church is also described as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world. And we're going to be talking about all those later in the teaching and future teaches that are coming in this series. But one of my favorite pictures of the church in the Bible is where Jesus describes the church as his radiant bride. It's what we call the lover paradigm, where Jesus is the groom and we are the bride and he loves us passionately and he lays down his life. 
He sacrifices his life for his bride. And you can read about that in Ephesians 5, 25. So these are all pictures that describe the universal church, all believers from all times in history. So let's say it again. Everybody say, I am the church. church. Great. Okay, now we see in Scripture the church described in another way, the local church. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. This is another clear expression of the structure of the church that we see in the New Testament. And this is where individual believers are gathered together in a specific geographic location for specific purposes. And we see this all over the New Testament. In fact, you can think about this. A lot of the letters in your Bible were written to specific local congregations. Like the letter to the Romans was written literally to the church in Rome and Italy. You can look at the first and second Corinthians letters that were written to the church in Corinth, which is in Greece, or the letter to the Ephesians, which was written to a church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And so what we see as we read these letters is that God knows the needs of each church. He knows the strengths, he knows the weaknesses, and he has specific encouragement and sometimes specific challenge or rebuke for those churches. And what we also see in Scripture is that Jesus is present. He's present with local congregations. And where we see this is in the book of Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13, the apostle John writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And those lampstands represent seven local congregations or seven local churches. And it says, and among... Them, that's important to see, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. He was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. So this shows us that Jesus was present with each one of those congregations. He knew what they needed. He had a plan for them. And and as an example, let's look specifically at the church in Ephesus. Because he says some things to them here in Revelation chapter 2. He's got some encouragement. He also has a rebuke. He says, I know your deeds and your toil, your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you, you have found them to be false and you have persevered and endured for my name's sake and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And I read this and I go, wow. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? What would Jesus say to us here at New Heights in Fayetteville? Where would he see our strengths? And we've got a lot. Where would he see our weaknesses and where we need to do more? How would he encourage us? Would he rebuke us for anything? He's here. He's present. He's in our midst right now. And another thing I want to point out when we talk about local church is we've got to understand that local churches have unique flavors or expressions or different cultural ways that they do church. I know for me, as a kid growing up, I was raised in a tradition where we met in a huge, beautiful building and there were huge arching ceilings and beautiful stained glass windows. Every once in a while they had incense in church. That was really interesting. And real communion wine every Sunday which was very interesting for us kids. Uh, And we had a priest that smoked two packs a day. And so, you know, it was really different for me growing up than what I experience here, worshiping with y'all in a gym. Different expressions. And, and, And when I became a true Christ follower, 
at the age of 18, I had what I call a funky cool exposure to a variety of different kinds of churches. On Sunday morning, I went to a Baptist church with my roommate, Dave, and I got to appreciate the hymns of the church from history and great expository preaching. But then on Sunday nights, I went to an African-American church where I was like one of only three white guys. I was called Brother Kevin, and, and, and we experienced church in a whole different way than I experienced it on Sunday mornings. I mean, it was great food, and we loved each other incredibly, and these guys were really comfortable with supernatural spiritual gifts, and they got down in worship. I mean, it was fun, you guys. I remember every once in a while, I'd look in the back of the church, and our pastor, he would just be back there, and he'd just be worshiping, just kind of mm, just enjoying the presence of the Lord. I loved it. And you guys, this is a good thing because there's no cookie-cutter church. And we've got to understand this, and I think that most of you would agree that as, 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 maybe you've seen this as you do world missions. Some of you have gone out, and you've traveled the globe, and you've got to see the beautiful diversity of the body that Revelation 7 9 talks about, where every tribe and tongue and people and nation worship. And you guys, I can't wait to get to heaven and experience that with all my brothers and sisters from all time. It's going to be beautiful. But I think that probably most of us would also agree that we maybe need to back off of comparisons that we make and focusing on cultural differences between churches and differences in worship styles and focus on the main purposes of the church and get after that. Amen? So what I want to do now is I want to move into the three purposes that we see in the scriptures of the church. And to help us maybe to remember these, I want to give you something visual. I want you to think about the purposes of the church almost like something three-dimensional or having three directions. And those directions would be upward, inward, and outward. You might want to write that down. Okay, let's talk about the first purpose of the church that we see clearly in Scripture, and that is, number one, ministry to God. We call this worship. The direction is upward. And if you want an image here, think again, bride and groom, that type of image. And when it comes to the importance of worship... I love what the Westminster Confession of 1646 simply says. It says, man's chief end, or another way to say it is, his purpose for existence is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So worship is a big deal. And here's the thing we have to understand. Everybody's doing it. Everybody around the planet is worshiping today. Here's the thing. They just might not be worshiping God. They might be worshiping their sports team. They might be worshiping the Razorbacks. Well, maybe not after yesterday. Um, sorry. But, uh, you know, they, they might be worshiping their ski boat or their boyfriend or whatever. But people are worshiping today. And the Bible is clear that one of the main purposes of the church is to minister to God through worship. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's look at it. It says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It's saying that we should be living as Christians for the praise of his glory. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul directs the Colossian church to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in their hearts to God, to minister to God. You guys, God has created the church to be a worshiping community. It's one of our main purposes if I haven't emphasized it enough, let me give you two more verses that I think really clearly portray this. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. 
says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. For what purpose? God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. You are here to worship and declare the praises of God. And worship in the church, we have to understand, is not just a warm-up for the teaching time. Like, well, we've got to sing a few songs, you know, to get us kind of prepared for the message. No, you guys, worship is a main part of the purpose of the church. It's, it's, it's to minister to God. And this is why Paul can follow up an exhortation that he gives in Ephesians 5, 16 and 19, to be making the most of our time. He can follow up that exhortation to make the most of our time by saying this, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's not a waste of time. Worship is making the most of your time. Amen? So, application for us. If while we're together here in this room, you're maybe on your cell phone, or maybe you're just going, man, I wish they'd just get through the singing quick so we can get to the message, or, or maybe right after the message, you're heading for the door when we go back to worship and, and, and communion. If that's, if that's maybe you, it might be time for you to have a, a fresh understanding or a fresh perspective on the importance of worship in the church. And let me remind us of this, that Jesus confronted the local church in Ephesus with a particular sin that actually challenged their existence as a church. Remember, he says in Revelation 2, he says, I know you're working hard. You're being faithful. But then he challenges their hearts in verse 4. Let's put it back up on the screen. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I have this against you. You've left your first love. And Jesus is saying, come back to intimacy with me and keep the first thing first. What is the first thing for us as the church? It's Mark 12, 30. It's what Jesus, what we call the great commandment, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. And I love at New Heights that we try to prioritize first love, to not Get the cart, so to speak, in front of the horse. And I know for us, for us as a staff, Jim Hall will occasionally come into our staff meetings and challenge us on this very point. He'll say, how are y'all doing with your first love? And he'll say, you're doing great things for God. Your ministries are great. They're growing. You're doing great outreach in the city, going to the nations. But how are you doing with keeping your first love first? What's your worship look like during the week? How are you doing with that? How's your first love? And, and this is important to be challenged this way because a huge part of New Heights culture is second commandment stuff, which is important, <laughs> so important, which is to love neighbor. But here's where we've got to be careful. We could so focus on loving neighbor that we forget the first priority, which is to love God with all of our hearts. And it's easy to focus on loving neighbor sometimes. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. It's, it's a challenge, but it's tangible. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we get pats on the back when we're going out and we're doing second commandment stuff, but a lot of times there's nobody patting you on the back for having your morning quiet time. But it's vitally important that we don't get the cart in front of the horse. Jesus says, come and keep your intimacy with me first. And here's the bottom line. He loves us as his bride. He loves us with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he is worthy 
to be equally yoked with a bride who loves him back with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? He's worthy of that. And I'm so encouraged, though, you guys, that I, I see Jesus stirring the pot, so to speak, in this whole area of worship here in this community. I see him stirring intimacy and a passion for him that overflows in worship. We're seeing it more and more, for example, on our once a month, what we call night of worship that happens right here in this gym. And if you haven't been a part of it, please come to one of our nights of worship. We're trying to do them every month. It's incredible just to take an evening and devote that to ministering to the Lord. And, and we've seen this and experienced it in the prayer room with our encounter times on Friday nights. And, and college students, a lot of you have experienced this on Monday nights at the schoolhouse, haven't you? And for the rest of the, the congregation who doesn't know what schoolhouse worship is, let me tell you what it is. There's a house on School Street by campus, so they call it the schoolhouse. And over five years ago, several students that went to New Heights felt a calling from God and urging to God for them to open their home once a week on Monday nights and just see who would want to show up and just spend a couple hours worshiping the Lord. And so they did this. And, and the first night, they opened their house on School Street, and over 40 students showed up and, and ministered to the Lord and each other. It was beautiful. And the next week, they did it again. Over 100 students showed up. And then the next week, it just got ridiculous. They couldn't pack people into the house. I've been there when there were probably 250 students packed into the house and actually spilling out into the lawn. Dozens of people on the lawn and people in every bedroom, hallway, bathroom, kitchen, all like sardines, you know, just worshiping the Lord. It's powerful. And, and what's really fun, you guys, about these times where, where people come together and they focus on God is what happens when God's people worship because a lot of times he starts to move. And we've seen this on our, our nights of worship here. God is actually here answering prayer with physical healings. We're starting to see physical healings happen at our nights of worship. And people will start to pray and minister to one another. And sometimes, when we lift up Jesus' name, the lost are, are found. And lost people come to know Jesus. And, and I want to share a story right now about this actually happening to a friend of mine named Alex Boyd, who served last year as, as one of our college interns, and he went through our school of ministry and I want you to hear his story and check out this video of what happened to him at a schoolhouse worship night. I, I grew up in, in an atmosphere where worship was, was something you did and it was good. Kind of boring. You hear about kids being bored in church. And when I got old enough to make a choice for myself, I looked at these people who I had known who tried really hard to follow these rules that they thought were good but they didn't really know why. They weren't excited. And I would see them on Sundays, and they were going through the motions, and they weren't excited, and that was not very appealing to me. So I decided actually to walk away from them and to try to find other things that would give me excitement and try to live my life for those things. And I, I tried just about everything. I tried, I tried drugs. I tried alcohol uh, to find that, that sense of excitement or that sense of, of community. I would do those things with people, and they liked them and they found, I think, sort of a sense of joy in them. Um, but to me, it always just felt kind of dull. I still felt that desire for something. And went to college and someone invited me to a worship night pretty soon after I got there. And I went to be polite because a friend of mine was going. It was almost like a conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't emotion. It wasn't 
It wasn't a motion. It wasn't because they had to. It was because they wanted to. It was as, it was as if God was in the room for every individual person. It enabled me to see this, this as genuine instead of something you did because you thought you had to. And so I went from skepticism to, to curiosity to admiration. I thought, I, I, there are all sorts of things that I've seen people dedicate their lives to, and, and none of it has this effect. I, I continued to go back, and before too long, it went from 15 people to 250 people packed into this one house. And it turned into an overflow of my thankfulness and an overflow of my joy. And I remember thinking, I think this is, I think this is what I missed. I think this, this acceptance... This joy comes from genuine acceptance. And, you know, I would go to these worship nights time and time again, and it was just this overflow of song and harmony and tears and community and acceptance, all because of the realization of who Jesus is. And I don't think I would have come to that realization without seeing other people have that overflow. If I wouldn't have seen people's reaction to what God has done, that's what worship is. Worship is a reaction to what he's done. And that's what I, I think grew up with, was people who are missing it. And so I missed it until someone showed me through worship. And yeah, I'm eternally grateful for that. Mm. Wow, I'm excited because next week, Lee is going to talk more about worship and how we can grow in it and how we can experience the overflow that Alex was talking about. Okay. Let's go to the second main purpose for the church, ministry to believers. And we can describe this as nurture and community. If you want a direction here, the direction would be inward. If you want an image, think of the body. And God's plan is to bring people to know him like Alex did, but then to bring those people to maturity, to fullness, to grow to know God and to be like him him. And, and God does this. It's that big sanctification Bible word. We call it sanctification, big word, but what it means is that lifelong process of making you and I holy. And one of the primary tools that God uses to bring that maturity about in your life and in my life is through the local church. And as believers, we all have an obligation to nurture those who are already believers as well. And Paul said that this was the goal of his ministry, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he said that he was working to present everyone fully in Christ. What it means, fully mature in Christ. Not just to bring them to initial saving faith, that's great, but to bring them to full maturity. And the apostles did this with the early church. They did it through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And they also did this by coming alongside other believers and showing them how to live it out. And we call that discipleship. And I want you to see this verse that talks about the importance of, of teaching the truth and helping people to live in the truth. This is 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And I want to make a couple important observations about this verse. First one is that it's, the church is described as God's household. His family. And when we start to do church more like a business or an institution, we start to lose our identity. And so we've got to remember that we are a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Another important observation to make here is that the church is described as the pillar of the truth. So I would say that's a big deal. <laughs> we've been entrusted with the truth, and we have a responsibility to teach.
teach that truth. And at New Heights, we are trying to teach the truth of the Word of God when it feels good and when it doesn't feel good. We try to teach it when the culture's for us, but we're also going to teach it when the culture is against us. Because God's entrusted us with the truth, and we have an obligation to teach it. And so we want to equip you, not only with good doctrine and good theology, but we also want to give you practical tools to help you to live out the truth of the word. And one of the specific ways that we do that here at New Heights, besides teaching from from the stage here, is we do it through what we call our equip classes. And equip classes, if, if you don't know what those are, is these are usually one to three week teaching series, discipleship teaching series, that we offer throughout the semester. The Joshua Center also does similar classes as well. And, and I just want to throw this out there. We're starting a new series next week that I'll be teaching on identity in Christ and knowing God's heart for you. It's called Fully Known. And it starts up next week. And I want to encourage you to come out because it's hard to minister to others when you don't know who you are yourself. And so if you want more information about that class or how to register, you can go to our website or stop by the equip table over there and grab a little flyer that tells you more. Um, But here's the thing that we also have to understand is that we're committed not only to teaching in classrooms and from the stage, but coming alongside, coming alongside believers. This is what we call life-on-life discipleship. This is where we come and we build relationships intentionally seeking to help our brothers and sisters grow in Christ. And you see this clearly in Paul's ministry. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. And he talks about how we were gentle among you. We were with you. We were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. Paul was an incredible teacher of the truth, but he was also an incredible discipler and and a nurturer of people. And this is a model for all of us. And I love that at New Heights we value this. At New Heights we value spiritual growth that comes through authentic community. And in a couple of weeks, our community pastor, Bruce Tippett, is going to come as a part of this church series, and he's going to talk to us about the importance and the blessings that come from being in authentic community. And he's going to share some really incredible stories when he comes to talk. But what I want to do right now this morning is I want to take an opportunity to share one story with you. And I want to ask my friend Alec Ward to come on up. And Alec, if you don't know him... He is on staff at New Heights. He's a part of our communications team. He made that video that we just saw. That was really good, wasn't it? So I uh, appreciate that, Alec. And, and, and he shared with me recently a story about the body being the body, about people caring. But here's the thing that we have to understand about community. As I talk about it being inward, you have to understand it's not just about us receiving. It's about us giving to one another. And in his story, there's going to be some receiving, but also you're going to see other people giving of themselves and sacrificing and, and, and giving that blessing to others. It's, it's receiving, it's giving. So Alec, would you tell us that story? Yeah, thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Um, so my story starts in uh, early April of this year. Um, my wife and I are kind of getting on our feet. We're newly married, and we got married in October of last year. Um, and tax season comes around. I think we all know, or I hope we all know what that feels like. Um, and we find out that what we had saved in the very beginning of our marriage um, was going to, most of it was going to have, have to be given to taxes. And so that was a really, really hard kind of 
weird thing to feel, um, kind of a, a, a feeling of like, I don't know what's next. Um, I'm doing my best here and, and I'm just trying as hard as I can. On the way home from finding out that most of our savings was going to be given to taxes, my 1995 Toyota Camry decides to stop driving in the middle of College Avenue uh, in Fayetteville. And uh, yeah, it's a 20-year-old car, probably should do that. But in the end, the timing of my car dying on College Avenue was not the best after I find out that the money that we were going to save for a car eventually is now going to be given to taxes. So later that night... We go to a community group, and there are a lot of people in our community group that are incredible. Um, one of them is Greg Hoffman and his wife, Sarah. Greg immediately makes eye contact with me as soon as I walk in the door. He read on Facebook and on, on my Insta story about different things that I was going through that day with the car and all the taxes and everything. And he immediately offers and says, hey, Sarah is really, really wanting to, to sell her car. Would you guys want it? And I was like, thanks so much. But he didn't know completely about the taxes. So the money I was going to be able to get that car for, we didn't have, like I said. And so we move into a time of worship and a time where we're able to hang out with each other and spend time with each other. And we're worshiping and Andrew Lynch was was leading a song and he stops in the middle of it. And it wasn't just me that night that was having a hard time. Um, There were more people in our community group that were having a hard time. And so he stopped in the middle of a song and said, I want there to be a time of confession, a time where we can be open and honest with each other, which I think is a huge building block of community. And I offer and confess what's going on in my life. And I I say that I'm scared and I'm terrified of what's next. We don't want to take out a loan for a car. We don't want more debt. We don't need all these different things, fill in the blank. And so we go back into worship and we pray for each other, everybody that was able to open up and get back into worship. And while, while everybody else is worshiping, I'm praying and I say, God, this is all I have left in my, in my savings. This is all I have to offer you and I want to give this, up, this money up to you. And I hadn't done that in my distress, in my distraught state of mind while I was pulling my car into a parking lot earlier. I didn't do that. And, uh, and so as I say that, I look down and I get a text message from who else but Greg. And he says, you know, man, the whole time, this, this time that you've been talking and during community group, we really feel like we should be offering you the car for, a little, for, for less. And the amount of money that they, they offered the car to us was actually the amount of money that we had left in our savings, which is an incredible, incredible thing. And that's a totally a God thing. But like Kevin said, I, I was able, we don't, we don't deserve that car. I'm blessed to have that car. But at the same time, community is not about just showing up and being like, I'm going to sign up for community. I get a car. Sweet. Uh, it's more about the other side of the story because Andrew Lynch was willing to stop the group and say, let's confess. And Greg and Sarah were able to listen to God and be available in sacrifice. So it was an incredible story, and we're really thankful for them and our community. So thank you. Thank you, Alec. Yep, sign up for community group, get a car. That was what I heard. I don't know. Okay, number three, purpose of the church is ministry to the world. And this is mission and mercy. If you want a direction, this is outward. If you want an image here, think salt and light. And, and this is something that, that I know I'm 
preaching to the choir here, so to speak, because this is something I feel like that as New Heights, as a culture and community, that we really try to be intentional about mission and mercy. And Jim talked about this last week, and I'll put the verse back up on the screen, where Jesus said he was going to pour out his spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and to Samaria and the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, and then they went for it. And I know I don't have to say this, but we all get this here. I hope that, that this wasn't just a first century experience, that we all here this morning, if you say, I am the church, you have the same spirit. And you have the same mission, the same calling that they did in the book of Acts. And declaring the gospel to the world is a, the primary way that we do outward ministry. And I want to say this too, that accompanying that mission to share the gospel also needs to come ministry of mercy that cares for the poor and the needy in the name of Jesus. And we should add whether they accept the gospel or not. We're called to show mercy and compassion. Jesus taught this and he modeled it by preaching the truth and caring for the needy. And I know that most of us here understand this, but God does not have a plan B for the world. He's not going to assign this commission to angels. He's given it to us as the church. We are his method. And I'm so grateful that, that this is a vital part of our DNA here at New Heights, being intentional about mercy and mission. We have salt and light trainings that are happening several times a year that give you a practical equipping in how to share the gospel with your neighbors, with your coworkers. There's one coming up in November and you can find out more about that. Go to our equip table. Also, we've got opportunities with global outfitters, all sorts of ways to get involved in praying, giving, and going. And so we're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks, about salt and light and other things. So right now, what I'd love to do is land the plane and get practical. Let's review the three main purposes that we saw this morning of the church. They are, first of all, ministry to God, worship, Ministry to believers, nurture and community, and ministry to the world, mission and mercy. All three are clearly seen in scripture, and vital healthy churches, strong healthy churches will have effective ministry in all three. So as I wrap up this morning, I'd love to move into a time of reflection and have us ask ourselves some questions this morning. And as you see the three purposes of the church, here's the question. Is there one of these that needs more attention in your life right now? Ministry to the Lord, worship, ministry to believers, ministry to the world. How are you doing with these three callings if you are a part of the church? And it would be good to stop and ask yourself this question. Do I need to focus on my first love with Jesus more right now? How am I doing with the first command? Am I keeping first things first? And is there anything distracting me? from focusing on my intimacy with him. Another thing that you might ask is, do I need to get out of my comfort zone when it comes to worship and, and stop thinking about what people around me are thinking and just focus on him and give him the worship that he's worthy of? And when it comes to community, a question maybe to ask is, am I living isolated? Do you remember the picture that I had up there of the single kayak? So many Christians are trying to do Christianity that way, trying to do it solo. And that's a danger where we're so private in our culture today. God has, intends us to be together. That's where we will be the strongest. But are you living isolated? And do you maybe need to seek out places in community where you can be known 
encourage you to go by the community ministry table after the service and find out more about discovery and community. And when it comes to community and the body, another thing you might want to ask yourself is, how am I doing with using the gifts and the talents that God has given me? There is so much gifting here in this room. Incredible gifting. And the question is, is are you being faithful with what God has entrusted you with? Maybe he's given you a gift of hospitality. Maybe, maybe it is, it's caring for, for those who are sick, praying for people. Maybe it's, it's playing an instrument or it's teaching the word. Again, so many opportunities. If, if you're saying, I need to find places to serve, so I, maybe I, I can even find out what my strengths and gifts are. One of the greatest ways we find out about our gifts is serving. So I would encourage you to, to get more information about those opportunities. And lastly, how am I doing with praying for the lost? and being intentional about taking the gospel to my neighbors and my community. All right. When we walk out of the doors, number three is going to happen. Ministry to the world. But right now, we have the opportunity to practice number one and number two, which is ministry to the Lord through worship and communion and then ministry to one another. And I just want to point out this morning that there are communion tables that are gathered around the room. And as you take communion this morning, Do it with thankfulness in your hearts like we're exhorted and say, thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for me and that your blood was shed for me that sets me free from my sins. Also, I want to ask the prayer team to come on up at this time. And and I would encourage you, if you need prayer in any area this morning, people would love to pray with you. All right, let's do this. Let's be the church. Let's be his radiant bride. Let's minister to him and each other. Amen.